Warning. This episode contains foul language, discussions of suicide, child sexual abuse, abortion, asylum abuse, and murder. But it's really not that bad. listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with a guest or just each other and we talk about something weird. And this week, for the first time this season, we do indeed have a very special guest and a very special topic. We are back for another rendition of Holly Weird. We're going to dive into all things ghostly, true crimey, and just plain eerie within the world of celebrity. Kicking things off this week with stories from some of your favorite stars and discussions involving the deep effects of living your whole life in Tinseltown. Get your tickets and your popcorn because this showing is about to begin. My name is Lauren and this is my co-host Ashley. Hi weirdos. And joining us again for the first time in years, oh, how we have missed this charming, wonderful man so much. Please welcome back our special guest, Mike Johnston. Hey, weirdo. Been a long time. <laughs> it has been, been a, a minute. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. Thank you guys for having me. We're so happy to have you all the way from New York City. Yeah. NYC, taking a bite out of the Big Apple. <laughs> he stayed up so late to do this show with us, you guys. We are so appreciative to have him on from across the country. This is a delightful treat. I mean, but how else are you supposed to spend your nights? You should be hanging out with the Keep It Weird kids, Exactly, right? exactly, right. exactly. It's the so only I way. So I tell everybody. Mike, can you explain something to me? Because I don't know this story. Can you explain how you ended up performing on stage with Carrie Underwood at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> yes. Uh, you mean, could I tell you about the time I was on a sold out show at Madison Square Garden? Uh, yes, please. With superstar legend Carrie Underwood? Legitimately I mean, don't know this story. Uh, I know it happened, but I don't know anything about it and I would uh, love to hear about it. Best night of his I life. would love to tell that story. It's my favorite story to tell, in fact. <laughs> Sit back and relax and let's get into it. Um, so I had heard from a friend who is also a big Carrie Underwood fan that Carrie was doing something throughout her tour where she was looking for kind of, um, champions. That's, she has a song with Ludacris that kind of was a big deal for football and they would play it, I think before like the Monday night football, if that's a thing. Sorry. Oh my God, you sound just like me. Monday, Sunday, Tuesday. I know. I think Monday night is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) So she had this song with Ludacris and throughout her Cry Pretty tour, she was looking for people who kind of represented what the song did and were champions and would come on stage and do the rap with her. So I had heard about this from a friend and I was like, well, you know what? I live in New York City. I ruptured my Achilles. I've been crutching up and down five flights of stairs. Um, The recovery from rupturing your Achilles is so gnarly and I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Um, and I, you know, even though I ruptured my Achilles, my first time I played competitive dodgeball, which 
yes, that is a thing. And <laughs> even better, it's competitive gay dodgeball. So. <laughs> And also, Mike is so, so good. I used to watch him when he still lived in L.A., and I would go to his, like, West Hollywood League, and he was phenomenal, and all of his teammates were obsessed with him. So that's really cool as well. Thank you so much. I do pride myself. If there is one thing I'm good at in life, it is gay Gay dodgeball. Let me tell you. I love it. Um, But so I, you know, I had ruptured my Achilles. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get to play again, but... um, once I was, you know, I'd done enough physical therapy, I felt like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And I went to a travel tournament in North Carolina with my squad that I normally play with. And we ended up winning the tournament. So my first tournament back, I was like, very literally a champion. And so I shared the story with the Carrie Underwood team. And I was like, this is my story. I'm a gay athlete. I thought I was down. I would never get to do this thing that I love and has brought me so much community. But I'm gonna, you know, I did it and we became national champions that year. And I I sent it to them, I think, like on like, Thursday night or Friday night. And then on Monday, I got a call that was like, Hey, Mike, just wanted to let you know, you're gonna be performing with Carrie Underwood on Wednesday. And I was like, I was like, wait, what do you mean on Wednesday? And like, do I get a sound check? Who's calling me? Is there a car picking me up? What are the details? And then um, as glamorous as it would appear, none of that happened. Right, for sure. They were like, meet us at the back door. We'll pick you up at song 18. And you're going to be on stage. Good luck. No, I'm just kidding. They were much nicer than that. But really, there was like no sound check. I didn't get to see her before. And I was like... So, like, literally the first time I see You'll one of my favorite on singers, is on I'm going to be, like, ascending from beneath Madison Square Garden <laughs> oh to, to, like, reveal myself in front of her. Also, was, that was the coolest part. You got shot up out of the stage, and I could not handle it. It was so awesome. It was literally the best experience. Also, you did really well. Yeah. Just FYI. Like I was like, holy shit. I didn't I didn't know any of that story. So I was like, did he write this? Like I didn't know this. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I was so, so nervous. And after every song, like she would like sing a song and then in between, you know, when the lights dim and they get ready for the next one, I would just be like, see is for the courage I possess through the drama. I was like practicing in my head. <laughs> um But it was so crazy. It was so much fun. And like I said, as cheesy as it sounds, and my boyfriend would tease me about this, but I like if I'm feeling down or like kind of bummed out about something, I will literally watch that video and I can like totally turn my mood around just because I'm like, what an experience. Like there's people that live their whole professional lives successfully as musicians, but will never know what it's like to be on stage at Madison Square Garden, let alone at a sold out show. And like- like random me had that happen and I just like so crazy but like the best experience ever yes it's amazing and the video is on you really did kill it you really did the video is on your Instagram but I think we'll have to post it on our like Insta stories or something because I know our listeners are going to be like excuse me yeah (laughs) excuse me what happened we'll we'll make sure it's available (laughs) and if they need me for like autograph signing like make sure you guys sign up for the Patreon donate send you out a signed copy (laughs) that'll be our Patreon that'll be our next April. it'll be like all right but if you find fifteen dollars a month <laughs> you'll get a signed photo no it's not of us um it's no. of our friend mike so <laughs> speaking of patreon uh, before we do get started i need to give a shout out to some new 
Patrons! Hello and welcome to Leah Binge, Natalie Curtis, Danny Rising, and Dory, who I believe sent in a story, right? She did. She sent in a story for last week. About their name. we love you. Dory's a great name. Um, Very excited to say it again. Anyway, hello all. Thank you so much for donating to our show. We hope you're enjoying all your bonus episodes. I accidentally actually went to our Patreon the other day. I wasn't signed in. And it gave me some interesting stats that I didn't know. For $10, you will have access to 40 bonus episodes of ours. 40. Wow. 40. And then like five full-length bonus video episodes for back in the day, which is just absolutely crazy to me. And the bonus episodes, guys, they're an hour long, so they're (laughs) full-length Yeah, we used to like have no filter. We just record ourselves for endless amounts of time. Yeah, it's just... I mean, talk about bang for your buck. Exactly. It's just crazy to me that we have that much content out there. I know. Between our show and our YouTube channel and our Patreon that I just... Somebody pay us. Does anyone... Yeah. Like, I know donations, that's wonderful, but like somebody give us a paycheck. (laughs) I know. Good Lord. We're really putting it out there. (laughs) Really doing it. So this is technically our third time diving into Weird Hollywood, actually. We had a two-part episode on Strange Hollywood Stories in Season 2 with our good friend Blair Gorman, where we discussed murders like Natalie Wood and which celebrities have had sex with ghosts. And then our first live show, (laughs) we discussed (laughs) some weird Hollywood stories as well. I think you talked about some famous Hollywood haunted buildings, and I think I talked Mm -hmm. about a murder that involved Project Mockingbird. Yes. But we are back. Just can't seem to get enough of that delicious fame juice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, celebrities are fascinating anyway. But yeah, then when you like talk about ghosts and true crime and conspiracy theories within the world of celebrity, like it's a good time. It's a real good time. Yeah. And uh, it was actually sort of Mike's idea to do this episode. You um, had just recently, what was it? You just recently watched the Tina Turner documentary? Yes. Yeah. So not Which necessarily that. I did there. as well. It's fantastic. <laughs> I did too, it and it's so, so good. good. I cried. So good. I it laughed. very much feels like her farewell yeah. to all of yeah, us. Like it, it very did. much feels like we will not see or hear from her again. Ugh, just but sad. oh my god, I'm like getting choked up into five minutes into this. <laughs> but I love Tina Turner so much. But it did feel like that, but I thought it was so, so yeah. well done, and I hope that it gets all the success and attention that I think yes. that her her story and this documentary deserve. She's an incredible person, and I do think – I'm happy it's on HBO Max because I feel like everyone's obsessed with HBO Max right now, so I think a lot of people are going to see it, mm-hmm. and I hope everybody appreciates her for the wonderful woman she is. Totally, and seeing that documentary, like – Again, it brought up a lot of things for me just because I'm so fascinated by her story and her. But then when I kind of knew that we were going to be getting together and collaborating on something, I was thinking about just like how in that documentary it talks about how someone's story can like kind of take on its own life, even independent of the person that whose story in which it belongs to. Yeah. And I just think like. Um, sorry, I know that was like such a lofty, like weird thing to say. <laughs> oh, <No>, it was <laughs> great. <laughs> but I just feel like Hollywood, celebrity, like it it very much is its own entity mm-hmm. that really it doesn't matter who is participating with it. And I think that 
you know, you're looking at a force that's so powerful and it has so, and it moves kind of to its own thing. And that made me think a lot about like, you know, obviously I knew I was coming here and we're thinking like, how would that look when it's applied to like younger people? Yeah. That was kind of where this came from. And that was what piqued my interest. Like, like Hollywood obviously has an impact on people, but like, I wonder in the ways that it affects younger people and how that could be connected to how they relate to the world, you know, throughout growing up and things like that. And that's what kind of inspired my, my two cents on this episode. Yes. I love it. I love it too. And actually, good inspiration. Today, basically, we're telling some spooky stories. So Mike is going to start us off, I believe. You've got a couple, yeah? Yeah. Per- I'm going to, should I jump right in? Yes. Do it. For it. Yes. So I don't know if you guys watch this show, but I loved this show. Do you remember Growing Pains? Yes. Hell yeah. Freaking love okay. Growing Pains. <laughs> I do too. I do too. As long as we got each other. Oh wait, just kidding. We can only we can only sing like two That's seconds. Oh, yeah. or else they want to they want to be or something. We can't get sued <laughs> for that. But you guys get it. <laughs> but yeah, so I was kind of looking around for stories, and I came across one from Tracy Gold, who she was the sister on the show. Yes, and. I actually, this was kind of interesting to me, and I think when you kind of hold it up against another story that we'll talk about today, I think that it's just interesting, again, looking at bigger picture and what Hollywood does and how it impacts people. Uh Uh-huh. Essentially, she had, like, bought this new house. It was brand new, so it wasn't like someone lived there before. It was brand, brand new. And it's, like, a regular time. This is in the earlier 2000s, like, 2004, 2005, Mm -hmm. and... She thought that she was seeing something and she is, she says that she's a believer, but her husband really wasn't, but she had thought she had been seeing something throughout her house. And she was like, well, no, it's just my kids. She had other kids. And then she would be like, man, I keep seeing this thing. And then one night during like bath time, her kid was like, mom, I saw someone in the hallway. Why were they there? And she was like, what do you mean you saw someone in the hallway? Like your sibling? And the kid was like, no, but I saw them. And she was like, um, cool. no, that's okay. Boy, I think you did. No. <laughs> I don't think you did. <laughs> no, no, honey, quiet down. <laughs> yeah, I think she was like a little bit in denial. But then, so after a while, she was um, like still kept feeling like she had seen something or like just saw someone run past, but she had always attributed it to like her kids. Mm-hmm. And then one time she saw someone standing by her bathroom. And so she like said something and then it left. And so she had called out for her husband. Like, okay, that was obviously my husband because like I'm with the kids. It wasn't them. Like, where are you, husband? Mm -hmm. What are you doing to me, husband? Why are you playing this joke on me, husband? But then she had been calling for him and calling for him. And he like walked inside from being outside so it couldn't have been him and that really like spooked her and she had said something to him after that and he again was not really a believer but she said he like turned pale white and was like I've literally been seeing the same exact thing that you're describing and I just didn't say anything because I like that's not my thing and I just thought like that's crazy so here's where things get interesting to me So I think this started, like I said, in the earlier 2000s. And I want to say it was like one and a half to two and a half years later that so that this had gone on, right? 
And she was like, all of a sudden, I had this crazy urge to get pregnant. She was like, I wanted to get pregnant so bad. I know this is like going weird. (laughs) But she's like, I wanted to get pregnant so bad. And then two weeks later, she got pregnant. And she swears that her and her husband had have never seen what they saw after that. So the reason I think this is like... It's not spooky, but, like, interesting is that she later went on to say that she thought that perhaps it was her child and that the spirit had come early and was, like, waiting to be born. Oh. And I just, like, so when I I thought this story was interesting because, like, I feel like ghosts, like, normally it seems, like, scary. And I thought it was interesting that she... I guess, like, turn that into a positive, if right. you will. Yeah. I'm sure, I mean, Lauren, you're a mother. Like, what do you feel about that? Does that make you think anything? Like, do you think that's I don't thing? know. I guess it can't not be a thing. I actually kind of it. love that theory, especially because, I mean, we talk about ghosts on the show all the time, and I think we're usually talking about... I don't know. I mean, we talk about a lot of different theories when it comes to seeing anything in your home. It could be, you know, you're running into an alternate timeline, you know, a parallel universe, or may think it's somebody who's passed away in the house and it's, you know, somebody who's already lived their life and passed on. So I sort of love the idea of it being a soul that has not entered the world yet. Or it kind of could go along with the other universe theory and you know running into another timeline of like the kid did exist and was saying like hello (laughs) i'm trying to come into your world and i'm giving you a sign i don't know i sort of think it's beautiful and i love that idea of like her child was like appearing to her to be like i'm ready i'm ready for you and like speaking to her in a way i kind of think it's poetic or even just, you know, she said she always saw it out of the corner of her eye. They said it was always out of the corner of her eye, even if it was just like spying on them. Right. Like <laughs> kids do. Because yes. we've heard like so many stories, them. yeah, of, of people, like once their children start to talk, who talk about where they were before, right. like where they were before they were here. And so many of them, I've seen so many mothers just like break down in tears because they're little girl or boy or or their little child has said to them um you know i came down before but you weren't ready and so i had to go wait some more and the the women are just crying because they're like i had an abortion because i couldn't raise a child and like the idea that like this is that same soul that would have come down before but was like you weren't ready and i had to wait for you it's like they were meant to be no matter what. So they just went yeah. and waited and then they came when their time was yeah. ready. So if you're, you know, in that situation where you're a soul and you're supposed to be born and this is supposed to be your mother and it's just like eventually maybe you do get impatient and you start running around the house trying yeah. to get their attention. <laughs> I know, but I love that. And the fact that, yeah, they both stopped seeing it as soon as they had their baby. Like I, that gave me full body goosebumps. I thought that was so, so cool. Yeah, and that's fascinating. Wilder just started speaking in full sentences, basically. Well, not like full, but two-year-old full. Right. Um, and I am like so excited, praying that he tells me some creepy shit. <laughs> or like once that was. he knew me before I knew him. But I mean, knowing my luck, he's just gonna 
He's just going to say, say cars. Yeah, car, yeah, cars. fire cars. truck. Yep, that's his, <laughs> that's his only thing. But No, I love that story. I do too. I forgot about Tracy Gold as well. Tracy Gold looks like a mix between Lauren, your friend Ashley, Ashley Diddy, and uh, Carrie Fisher. That is ex- that is a that is, spot on. That's the most thing accurate thing I've ever heard in my entire. I life. just had to pull up a picture because I was like Tracy Gold. Where do I know that name? And I was like, holy yep. shit. Yep, that is. Yep. Li- that's yep. That's Ashley Diddy and Carrie Fisher. You nailed it. Wow, you really did. They they are. <laughs> that is exactly who you are. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> and then just like kind of looking again, like once I knew about the story and investigating a little bit about Tracy and just thinking about how how you grow up, right? And growing in a business like show business and being oh, successful. Geez. I think like so. Tracy was like. I don't know if she was willingly public about it, but the story ended up being very public that she had a very serious eating disorder Mm -hmm. and all throughout her time on like growing pains, she would like fake eat in front of people because she didn't want, you know, she didn't want to gain weight. She was suffering from anorexia and it's just interesting to me. I don't know, like again, looking at like Hollywood and child actors and like she was going through this thing where, you know, I guess... You could say there was like she needed some nurturing. She needed someone to care about that or for someone to care enough to make her situation visible to them so they could get her help. And then it's just interesting how she would relate to a ghost or a spirit now, like has that kind of positive, like this thing needed me and wanted to be with me. So I'm now I have it. I don't know. I just thought it was like kind of unique because I feel like that she would almost have those same feelings when she was in that time in her life. True. Like, like yeah. I'm here. I wish someone would see me and help me. Someone you know, take care I mean, granted, me. her thing was yeah. her thing was a little more negative, but I just feel like the experiences can kind of parallel one another. Um, she's just in the different role in both of those experiences. Yeah. yeah, that is a good way to look at it. And she was just like hoping to be taken care of. Did you have another child actor? I did, I did. So, Corey Feldman, uh, we know. Love him. Oh, yes. God bless him. I know. I didn't realize there was so much controversy surrounding his Oof. most recent documentary. Oh, yes. Either There's of you seen it? Uh-uh. I haven't seen the documentary. I've heard about it. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've seen all the his interviews of him talking about this for years. I mean, he brought yeah. this up a long time ago. He brought this up when Corey Haim died. Yeah, you know, I remember it. Yes. That, um, you know, this shit was going on and, and yeah. yeah, horrible. But I haven't seen the documentary. What's the drama with the doc? Well, Just I guess the documentary is the documentary is like true. having trouble being picked up by mm. people to even stream. Like people don't even want to touch it because it's it's just too whatever it is. Granted, I haven't seen it, so I can't yeah. say either way. I think people but, struggle with Corey Feldman a lot because he – I don't, he'll just kind of say whatever he wants to say, but I don't know. I I I feel like his voice needs to be heard, even though he's a controversial person. But I don't know. That's maybe it's just because I can kind of handle the darkness. I don't know. <laughs> it's also kind of like if if um you know one of the women who came out against Harvey Weinstein all of a sudden like were like I want to release this documentary I made about it. Yeah. And he wasn't in trouble yet and Hollywood hadn't, you know, crucified him yet. Sure. No one would pick that shit up. The Weinsteins produced everything. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. 
That's they were fair. part of like every That's network. Totally so if a network picks it up, then it's like, oh, am I going to get blackballed by this huge production company that, you know, he calls out the owner of for sexual yeah. assault? Right. Yeah, I'm sure that's Maybe a you tough don't want to be involved with that. Yeah. True. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. But I do, I do love Corey Feldman. I've always loved Corey Feldman. You know, the Lost Boys, Stand By Me. Yes. Classics. Oh. The Burbs. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, the Burbs. <laughs> well, his story, it also kind of takes this journey into a more positive place. Um, I don't know if people would agree that that this positive movement stuck but nonetheless right. <laughs> he experienced this in a positive way so he lived in a house with his wife and his kid and they in 2009 i believe his um grandparents died who were he was very close with and they were the ones that would like take him to set and he was mentioning that it was always really important for his grandma that he was in a positive environment Mm -hmm. she didn't want him to be a part of a negative environment and again this is you know obviously hindsight's 2020 but it's interesting that this was such a big part of what she wanted for him or at least what he remembers her wanting for him yeah Mm -hmm. and so they both passed i guess around the same time and he was living with um like i said his wife and his kid and they were getting in so many fights And he said that it was just, like, vicious. Like, their home life was terrible. Nothing was good about it. But they, you know, were like, we just got to get through this time. We're going to make this work, blah, blah, blah. And he said that when they would fight, they would hear, like, pipes crackling. And then they would have, like, another fight that was maybe a little worse. And, like, you'd hear banging in the walls. And then he would say that the, like... As the fights got bigger and bigger, the chaos in the house would just grow and grow. And I think he described it as like the house was basically alive yeah, when they it's were like fighting. Yeah, a poltergeist. Because, right. Yeah. yeah, it was just like responding to the energy and the chaos of them. Yeah. And so that put him on edge already. Like, what's going on? But then he started hearing voices in the house. And he would go and investigate. At first, there was nothing. He couldn't prove anything but then he one time heard something that he was like this is for sure a woman speaking and having a conversation and he like ran up into his kid's room and the kid was sleeping so he was like something is not right here Mm -hmm. so the next day he asked his kid are you like were you talking to someone and the kid was like this lady talks to me (laughs) and he was like what? And he's like, this lady talks to me sometimes. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, he was not. At he the window? Not, what are you okay. saying? <laughs> you have to tell me more. Right. And so he, this is all happening. He's trying to figure out what it could be. And then the nanny at one point comes up to him and is like, hey, just so you know, something is not right here. I'm hearing things. And like, I'm hearing people speak. This is not right. Yeah. And so one night, he heard some kind of like humming in the house. And it was the catalyst for him to like get up. He started checking every room. Searching. And he, yeah. Yeah. And then he went to the alarm and it said that like a door was open in his house. Oh, boy. So he like 
grabbed a knife and, like, obviously was ready to, like, defend himself. Yes. And he was, like, creeping around and he heard, like, that female voice again. And so he ran up into his kid's room with kids sound asleep. Nothing. So Corey, like, sets the knife down and he's like, something is not right. I need to take a beat. And he, like, lays down with his kid and on the floor in, like, a pitch black room, he sees something and it's his grandfather's ring that has, like, been in their family. What? Only he had the combination to the safe because it's, like, it not only is it, like, a family ring, but because it's been in his family, it's very it's a very valuable ring. Yeah. So he was the only one who had the combination to the safe that it was in. And he saw this in his kid's room while he's laying in bed. And he sees it on the floor and he picked it up and he knew it was his grandfather's ring. Obviously, he's, like jaw on the floor dropped how could this be here but then that helped him put together the pieces that the voice he was hearing was his his grandma's and he what he believed happened is that the house was a reflection of the chaos between him and his wife Mm -hmm, and because his grandmother was so adamant about Corey you need to be in a positive place you don't you should not be anywhere that's negative it was her trying to be like this is too much this is too much Corey get out of this you need to do the right thing and get to a positive place and so he said after that night within 30 days he was divorced from his wife he was out into a new home with his son and their relationship had never been better and he he gives credit to that his grandmother that was experience. like, yeah. his grandmother had put the ring on the floor. His grandmother was involved with kind of how the house was responding to the negative energy. And I guess in, I don't think in the way to like scare them out of the house. Right. But, yeah. but in a way to call attention to like, yeah, yeah, like this energy has like a, like there is some kind of actual response to the conflict and the chaos in your marriage that you need to get out of. Right. Um, so I thought that was a cool story because kind of like Tracy, like, like this wasn't like, ah, scary, run, murder, I'm dying. It was kind of like this ghost spiritual thing is happening to me and it is the catalyst for some sort of change that needs to happen. It's like shaking these people. Both experiences are like shaking these people awake to realize Mm -hmm. something about themselves and get out. And it sounded like he really needed to get out of that situation so that's yeah it's probably something his grandmother had talked to him about before about his marriage not being a healthy one so he yeah. already that that in the back of his mind i have no idea if she was privy to any of the bu- abuse he suffered i'm sure that anyone can really see a change in a person when yeah. they've gone through something like that so maybe that's why she was so adamant about being in this positive place like you have to you can't be in a negative place because you literally won't be able to take it yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it could literally be that they had had that discussion before. So when it was happening, he was like, this got to be grandma. Like, she is rolling right. in her fucking grave right now. Yeah. <laughs> that I that am woman still knew. doing this She's shit. like, you have to know when to get yourself out of bad situations. Hey, guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. 
speaking of Corey Feldman, did you guys watch Kid 90? Uh-uh. <gasps> oh, okay. So it's a documentary. It's on Hulu right now. Um, You know Soleil Moonfry? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's her documentary, and it's all footage of hers. Oh, wow. Growing up in Hollywood, like Brat Pack style, but this is after the Brat Pack. But it was um, Soleil Moonfry, Corey Feldman's in it, Leonardo DiCaprio, Stephen Dorff, Brian Austin Green, David Arquette, Jenny Lewis, Mark Wahlberg, Jonathan Brandis. It's all footage from a camera she carried around with her everywhere in the 90s. And it's like parties, goofing around, road trips, drugs, and most of all, suicide. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the sexual abuse stuff isn't really discussed because it wasn't something that they were discussing was happening, but just what it was like to grow up in Hollywood as a famous teenager and yeah. the toll that it takes on you. And I mean, she, in the course of this documentary, and they all come back as adults and they're kind of talking about their experiences. And she, in this documentary, basically is telling the story and she has like five or six friends kill themselves. Wow. Young wow. Jonathan Brandis being like her best friend, being one yeah. of them who I loved. Um, yeah. And the thing about fame, like you said, like needing that security and like needing someone to take care of you. The thing about fame is that it kind of makes you paranoid because after you become famous, every single person you meet, every person who tries to get close to you in any way, you have to wonder, is it because they like me or is it because I'm famous? Right. Every single one, every single person from then on out. Yeah. And the people that hang on to their friends and families outside of the industry from before they were famous are the people that survive because they're tethered in that way. And you see it all the time with people getting obnoxiously famous. They like lose it. And if you're Mm -hmm. a child star, that means you've always been in the bubble. You've never just been you. Right. So your entire life is made up of wondering who actually cares about you. And- Everything in your world revolves around fame because your fame, whether this is true or not, this is how you feel, your fame gave you every single thing you have, your lifestyle, your friends, family in some cases. So to lose that is like unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. But also inevitable because most child stars... Or or it's fluctuating. You know what I mean? Most child stars don't like, oh, I got famous. Aside from fucking Leo. Like, I don't know what he did. How did Leo stay so normal? Truly, I literally was thinking that. Well, he's that. not normal. I've met Leo. He's not fucking normal. He's weird. But but <laughs> he stayed working. Right. Well, he stayed working and kept a little sanity. I think yeah. that's more what I meant by True. normal. Yeah. But he's not normal. <laughs> they either keep working uh, or find success later on in life and they can like get through or um, actually Mara Wilson wrote about it. The, Matilda, the girl that played Matilda. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, she wrote about it. And she basically said like the ones that make it out alive, whether they become like adults in the entertainment industry and continue acting or producing or whatever, or they completely leave the industry and have a normal life. It's be- completely because of their parents. It's completely dependent on how their parents raise them. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, alongside the industry because, you know, stars like, we know, Lindsay Lohan, Macaulay Culkin, and Michael Jackson are the most obvious examples. Horrible parents. Right. 
using your kids for fame, taking out your aggressions on your kids, maybe because you feel jealous that your child is famous when you never could be or stealing all their money. Yeah, just having like the worst case of like stage mom. It's like stage mom, but even exaggerated. And they're not taking care of their child. They are just seeking the money and the fame. That's so toxic. But you have to enforce like normal childhood stuff, like making friends outside of actors in Hollywood, doing things, kids grounding your kids. You still have to like punish them for things things so they don't become like almighty yeah um but it's horrific because you have to add on to this free drugs free alcohol even if you're like 12 years old doesn't matter you're offered all of it yeah i mean uh, Corey. obviously he had such a public you know issue with drugs Mm -hmm. and alcohol right at such a young age right and i i think part of it too like Um, I mean, I agree with everything that has been said, but I think part of it too is everything is spun for you, Mm -hmm. right? Which even when, even when I like listen to these people's stories about these, about, you know, their encounters or whatever, I'm like, is it just natural when you grow up being, having things constantly spun around you that you will spin anything to, you know what I mean? Like, obviously we all tell stories in the narrative that we want them to be told. I mean, a lot of us do that. But like, you know, when you're young, think when you get rejection, it's spun that it's it it should be ambition to work harder or it's, you know, spun because you're a part of this project and not that if you were like this or the when the good things happen, it's spun that good more good things will happen or that this good thing happened because you deserved it so much, even though we all know that like a, a bout of good luck will make you successful in Hollywood for a little bit at least, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, so I think like when you grow up in a, in where not, you really, you very rarely get information for information's sake. It's constantly spun to be something that, you know, is manipulating and managing you as a, as a young performer, as a young entertainer, whether that's by your, fans whether that's by and you know you have this like grandiose version of yourself because they are manipulating how you are in the world Mm -hmm. or it's your your team of people that are trying to get you to be a part of more things to make more money yeah i just like i think it's so weird i think like what you said about being tethered by like people who are not in the industry i think that's very important yeah Um, absolutely but i i just wonder like you know and you think about like the drugs and alcohol with Corey or Tracy and anorexia and these kind of like inner things that people end up struggling with. I don't know. I just wonder like how, how that stuff is all interconnected. And it's probably for someone much smarter than me to (laughs) figure out. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I, you know, you talk about um, people being able to experience paranormal activity and stuff if they've been victims of a trauma or a traumatic event. And the amount of trauma that young actors would experience throughout their life, I imagine, would leave you pretty sensitive to. Yeah. Also, just like being an actor in general, like a good actor, I'm not saying like I'm not going to name names, but like, uh, <laughs> you know, like a good actor, you have to be extraordinarily empathetic. You have to be extraordinarily sensitive. Right. So then you'd be opened up for that. Yeah, kind of I feel thing. like you would, but yeah. no one I knows agree. anything. So, True. Lauren, do you have some stories too? 
I do. And after all that, I'm like, oh, God, my stories are terrible because that all was like such a good discussion. But we'll be the these are a them. little more fun. <laughs> I <laughs> found you guys the most random combination of people, which is Love the it. thing that makes me the most excited. So I have four stories total. I'm going to give you two right now that are a mix of a an actor, but also a drag race star. So oh. everybody prepare yourselves. Um, I'm going they to knew s- I was coming on this episode. Well, Don't and be Ashley cool. loves That's why RuPaul drag race. as RuPaul's <laughs> yes, drag I've race seen as well. Every episode. I actually think <laughs> you are like my two friends that know drag race the most. So it was a combination of the two of you that I knew would be perfect. For your listening pleasure, we have deleted a four-minute conversation on RuPaul's drag race. Sorry to all my drag race fans out there. It just wasn't serving the episode. You're welcome. Okay, well, after all that, I'm actually starting with an actor Great. first, and then we'll get to the Drag Race star. But I'm sure most of us have heard of a little lady named Margaret Cho, Pretty oh, yeah. hilarious comedian and has kind of been in like everything. I feel like she pops into so many TV shows, so many random movies. Okay, so Margaret Cho, I guess, is super into haunted houses, which I never knew. She's very into ghosts, very into finding the spooky things in LA. And she even describes her house in LA as a very Adams family style abode, which like she picked on purpose. And she even sees the ghost of the previous owner's dead dog frolicking in the yard all of the time, which I do not hear about ghost animals a lot, but she is adamant that she sees this dead dog frolicking around. So that was just small background on her, but Nothing prepared Margaret Cho for what she would experience back in 2010. She was living in a rented home during production on Lifetime's Drop Dead Diva in Peachtree City, Georgia, which honestly, of all the things she's in, it makes me laugh that she was on that Lifetime show. And yes, I watched that show (laughs) and I'm embarrassed. But she says, one night I remember laying in bed on my side and somebody got in bed next to me. It felt like the bed lowered. I was so scared because I wasn't sure if I was dreaming. I was just laying there petrified. When the sun came up, I turned around and nobody was there. Another time, the bed seemed to lift up and jump down, completely on its own, as if there was somebody at the edge of the bed pulling it up and slamming it down as hard as they could. This incident prompted me to ask my landlord if I could break the lease, but the ghost had other ideas for me. I was literally making the call to my landlord trying to figure out what would happen if I broke my lease, but then the oven started beeping uncontrollably and wouldn't stop no matter how much I pressed all of the buttons. Then the garbage disposal went off, even though I didn't touch anything. It just started going at the same time I was on the phone. So I ran over to the fuse box, turned off all the fuses connected to the house so there was no electricity, but the oven and garbage disposal continued to run. So I literally just left. I left the house. Margaret Cho returned a few days later to retrieve her belongings, but she remembers seeing a dead rabbit on the threshold above the door. Several years later, she returned with a reality crew and a sidekick who claimed a pair. Yes, there was a rabbit on the threshold above the door. Like somebody put a dead (laughs) rabbit up there. 
Okay. Or it was just. I was just making sure that's what I heard. Okay. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> no, you weren't wrong. We don't know. Was it demon? Was it person? You really moved on fast. <laughs> Listen, you were like there was a dead ran... rabbit on her door. Years later, it was like what happened? Okay, okay. So dead, dead, no, the rabbit dead. was a, just a couple days later when she had to face her fears and get her belongings. But then she was like, "Hell no!" Ran out the door. Yeah, but no. then. Several years did pass, and she decided to go back with a reality crew and a psychic and get a little more information, and they all left saying that they believed a pair of boys who used to live behind the house practiced satanic rituals on the property. So, Cho concluded that she feels the manifestation was connected to her own unresolved depression and issues about upbringing, and that the adolescent within herself... Uh, wasn't ready to be fully released and it somehow conjured this dark spirit and caused some kind of spiritual hole in the matrix that caused things to come through. That was her own conclusion. That conclusion. There's a lot to unpack there. She went (laughs) deep. It it wasn't just like, oh, hey, I think there were Satan worshipers on the property. She didn't just accept that. No, she she was like, my subconscious (laughs) child. It was definitely the child within me, within my soul. (laughs) that connected but i mean i enjoy her for this i like that she didn't just take that conclusion and run with it she said i'm gonna go even deeper tell you about myself she also concluded saying i do enjoy dealing with the friendly ghost dog in my yard but this was something very different and aggressive that i was not ready to interact with and did not enjoy she said it even felt like a male spirit it felt like a lonely male spirit Felt like there was a tiny bit of paranormal flirting since it involved the bed. Yeah. She said that oh, jokingly, well, yeah. but uh, she said it <laughs> was basically you clarified. <laughs> toxic masculinity to another level. It kind of reminds me, do you guys remember season one of American Horror Story? Do you remember the two twin boys that died in the house? Yes. And they're just I fucking awful and they're just like throwing, what are those? little fireworks things the snappers the snap things yeah that you just throw at the ground mm-hmm. yeah they're obnoxious yeah. yeah they're little shits oh i'd be so <laughs> mad if my house was haunted by those two twin boys i'd be so yes, mad and right? then if my house is haunted by evan peters like who's i'd be gonna really excited complain? about it and i would say come on in you want to flip my bed around do it um, so you guys your, ready yeah, for who's your drag, drag race star? star? I really hope you know her. I'm going to be upset. Ms. Cracker. Uh, yeah. Yes. Just making sure. I hoped you would. She was on an Aquarius She's a New York queen. season in Eureka. <laughs> Gosh, I, I love both of you so much. And I knew I could count on you. So Ms. Cracker from season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race, for anybody who doesn't know, has a scary ghost story. She was a college student in Olympia, Washington. Ms. Cracker moved into a spacious home with a few friends, but the house needed, quote, the touch of a woman before it could feel like a proper home. And that is when things got weird. Cracker remembers that she put four paper bowls that her mother had made on the center of the dining room table. She says, I spread them out to the four corners of the table to start decorating immediately because, hello, I'm gay. I left the room and came back, but then took the bowls out of a stack and put them on the four corners of the table to decorate. Yes, I just said that twice. I walked out of the room again and said, wait a second, I just did that exact ritual twice. 
Then Cracker says that all of the roommates began to unravel. She says it was partially instigated by a dark presence in their home that seemed to be moving all of their things around, Uh. like those bowls. The haunting slowly continued over the next six months, with the friends waking in the middle of the night to the sound of footsteps coming from upstairs or very odd noises in the kitchen when, of course, nobody was there. It was enough to literally drive one roommate mad, Ms. Cracker says that the friendships totally deteriorated. One of the girls legitimately lost her mind and is now fully missing. Nobody knows <gasps> where she is. Like, nobody can find her. She says it was sort of an Amityville horror-type film where everybody was sleep-deprived, twitchy, and everyone believed they were haunted. So everyone just started getting angry, going out of their minds. It was horrific. So they did a bit of research into city city records showing that the house was built atop some apple orchards. There was no documentation explaining what the land was used before that or what actually happened on those orchards, but whatever happened, it split up a group of friends and completely ruined them for life. Cracker finally decided to move out of the house after an apparent possession of one of her ex-roommates. Okay. She says, I came home and the house was apparently empty. But I heard mild laughter upstairs. I hadn't heard my roommate laugh in so long, so it really threw me off. I went upstairs, and the door was ajar, so I was going to jump in on her bed like the old days and try to have a good time with this rare happy moment. I opened the door, and the room was completely blacked out. The windows were covered with blankets, and she was sitting and laughing into the heating vent. I said, Brooke... No! Right? She said, Brooke, what are you doing? And she turned around and said, What do you want? In a deep, scary voice, monster-like crazy, and her eyes looked like they were spinning around in her head. She had this giggly laughter that was completely snapped off and out of control, so I ran out of the room and out of the house. It was the craziest exorcist transition that I have ever seen in person, and I never went back to that house. Wow. Oh my god. I know. Ms. Cracker had quite the tale, but she's doing okay now. I cannot yeah, think of fine. anything scarier than someone l- seeing someone laughing into a vent. Right? Like, I that is horrific. <laughs> I have heard many a ghost story, but I don't think I've ever heard somebody say like, "Yeah, I walked in to see my friend like laughing insanely into a vent and then turning around and like sounding like a monster when they spoke to me." I can't even I can't even imagine how that would feel. That would be terrifying. Gross. I hate it. Gross. Yeah, I... Okay. <laughs> okay. I just and her like friend's it. just missing? Like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, then just I know. like, my I friend I couldn't find any more details. I tried to look up more details, but that was how she left it. For she just sure. said, my friend is fully missing. Like, nobody knows where she is. And it could be a situation where maybe none of the friends know where she is right. and the parents do. You know, I don't think there's like police out looking for this person but it's like no one outside of the immediate family is getting a hold of her and like i think she just like yeah wow just kind of vanished yep well moving right along uh mikey michael (laughs) your turn share your stories mine yeah my story (laughs) all right so another scare well not scary but another well this one actually is scary but another ghost story <laughs> another ghost story from one of our favorite young hollywood starlets you- star i want to say starlets but i mean i don't know what is wrong or what is right but it's a, it's 
Joey available. Lawrence. Can he be? Can he be a starlet? Yes, we can no, call him a starlet. starlet for sure. He can be whatever we want. Yeah, want I him love to be. the name Starlet. I hope. Yeah. I hope the people listening to this episode say that they hope you guys never invite that starlet back that was on <laughs> this conversation. Oh my god. <laughs> I think the starlet, the definition is technically a young movie actress uh, and it has like a female con- connotation, but I want to say the starlet is such a good word that I think it that it holds no gender. Yes, agreed. I agree with that 100% and it's 2021, so get on Gender board. is fluid, so starlet it is. Starlet Joey Lawrence. (laughs) Starlet Joey Lawrence. And with that, I'll say, so during his Dancing with the Stars tour. (laughs) (laughs) So this story takes place when he's like not child Joey Lawrence, but we all know him from when he was child Joey Lawrence. And one of my favorite shows, Brotherly Love, which I just like literally loved that show so much. And I just thought like, this was the life I missed out on. Like, why did I not have siblings that were close in age to me? <laughs> this is how I should have been. Why did we work at the body shop? Like, why aren't we time. wearing oversized flannel? I just don't get it. Oh. During the story, he's on tour with Dancing with the Stars, and he's got his wife and his kid with him, a baby, and they are in, in an old hotel in Milwaukee. But the hotel is like a five-star hotel, but he says that it was super creepy and seemed like it was frozen in time, like it was from 1906. Mm. So him and his wife are there, and they are in their room getting ready for bed, and where the kid plays, sorry, I'm like clearly not a parent, Lauren's like, it's the playpen, you idiot! (laughs) (laughs) But like where the kid plays on the floor or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're all in bed, and all of a sudden, the toys start to light up and make noise. And the first time, they're they're like, eh, this is okay, whatever. Joey gets up, he's like, God, please don't wake the baby. Turns him over, and like, whatever, turns him off. Gets back in bed. 40 minutes later, they go off again. And he's like, what? That's weird. I don't think he's gotten to, he's like, not like super into the ghost thing, so he's not like, at like, probably oh my gosh, more annoyed than yeah. Right, he's like, what timer are these on that I can't yeah. turn off? So he says he knows he for sure turned them off this time because he was, like, pissed that he didn't want the kid to wake up. And he put him in the bathroom where obviously no one was. Gets back in bed. Sure enough, the toys no. go on again. But not only do the toys go on, the lights come on in the hotel. And he's like, that is absolutely not normal. No. But he's like, his wife also woke up woke up at this point, and she's like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, I turned him off. I put him in the bathroom. I didn't turn the lights on. The lights are on. So now she, who is like a bit more leaning into like scary and spooky things, they like don't sleep. They don't have a nice rest. They're just awake and awake for the rest of the night because they're like, what's going on? We want the baby to be safe. And we also are like a little bit scared, but we just want him to be sleeping. We're on tour, blah, blah, blah. So Joey is not, again, he's like not really into like ghosts and stuff like that. So he's just like, whatever. He goes down to the hotel lobby when they're checking out and he tells the manager and he's like, hey man, what's the deal here? Something weird about the hotel? And the guy's like, oh yeah, there is actually. And he's like, 
what do you mean? And the person, like the manager working in the lobby said that the owner of the hotel had arranged his son to be married, like an arranged marriage, and the bride, like they had their wedding, but the son didn't want to be with the bride at all. And so late at night after their wedding, while everyone was drunk and like kind of walking around, the son strangled and then pushed the bride down the elevator shaft. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yikes. And so Joey's like, you know, he's like really not buying it at first. And he's just like, whatever. But like the guy like goes through the whole story. And and so Joey gets like, he's just kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, I think he's like a little bit perturbed now. But he then goes upstairs to like get one more thing before they head out. And he said he was, like, trying to be a tough guy. So he's like, thanks for the scare to in the room. And he and he said the panels on the wall that, like, cover where the air conditioner was, I believe he said there was three of them, blew off the wall. Like, Whoa. not fell, not tipped over and open, blew off of the air conditioner and across oh the room. Oh, my Jeez. And he said he's not really a believer, but that situation would turn anyone who didn't believe into one. Yep, sounds he, like it. So, yeah. So he's like, now he's in a little bit of a hurry. He gets down to the lobby and he like tries to be like tough guy still. And he says to the manager, I guess you didn't get the ghost or something like that. And the manager goes, you have a kid, don't you? And he's like, uh, yeah, why? And he's like, because when the husband killed the bride, she was pregnant and she often <gasps> haunts the guests with kids because she's jealous of the like of the life she never got to have. Oh my golly gosh. Isn't that crazy that, that Joey just nuts. kind of like like googly eyed like was like okay gotta go Ooh. and like left and got on the bus to leave. Wait what hotel was okay, this did you say? I don't know what one it was and I think Because I need to this- avoid it. Yeah, it, well, don't go to Milwaukee. Just kidding, oh, you well, should. It's probably a great yeah. place. <laughs> I probably won't go there for uh, a minute. I mean, we could probably figure it out, or if someone looked it up. Yeah, I mean, I, it, mean, I it, can it, literally It's a five-star hotel in Milwaukee that's old in, like, early 1900s, like, kind of preserved. Oh, it's the it's the Fister Hotel, which I talked about in our sports episode. You did! Last- yeah. <laughs> As our season opener last season. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's a, hilarious. Uh, a, bunch of baseball players that have had to stay there before while playing in Milwaukee and they all have stories and they like hate hate playing in Milwaukee. Oh that my god. Is Cuz so they would stay crazy. at the Fister. That is so funny. <laughs> I guarantee it's that place. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm going to yeah, avoid I'm it sure at it all is. costs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's But good. like I just think that's like so it was like so scary and I think it's just funny cuz like I don't particularly see Joey Lawrence as like a super tough guy but he Me was either. like Yeah, I was trying to be tough and like make my little like tough guy comments and then there's just like this manager who's like giving him this full crazy story. Right. Um <laughs> about like why this hotel is haunted yeah for sure so so crazy i love it (laughs) and then he was like anyways i have to go dance yeah yeah he's like (laughs) to go tough i gotta go my My tap shoes are waiting (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) who else you got oh my gosh so this one is like literally the scariest one oh i'm so Mm -hmm. excited Oh, I'm so okay. scared. I'm, oh, I'm scared of retelling it. Actually, <laughs> I don't want to tell it. Actually, never mind. I have to go. I take it back. 
So this is everyone's favorite sister. What well, was my favorite sister? Beverly Mitchell from Seventh Heaven, the yes, longest running yes. family drama in TV she had history. The cutest smile. I love her. Yeah. So she was. This is in 2010. She's out scouting locations for a film that she's gonna produce and star in. And and I, you guys, I feel like you can stop me if you know where this is going. But she is 25 miles outside of Philadelphia. And she gets to the Penhurst School. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? Uh, is it the school or Penhurst Asylum? That's that's what I meant. Asylum. It's the same thing. Okay. Yes. Okay. 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 Are you guys okay, familiar sure. with with this thing? With these I'm things? not. Ashley clearly. Is. I mean, I just knew that it, it it's an asylum. It was shut down after you know overcrowding, patient abuse, the, the same. Yeah. The usual so, story. All the, the usual. all those things. Mm-hmm. So she gets there, and they're looking, and they see like the trees are overgrown everywhere. They're like coming in the windows, coming through the roof. So she's scouting for locations, and there's, like, she said she already had, like, kind of a weird feeling about the building, but it was, like, so weird that it was, like, piqued her curiosity. And so her and the, I think she's with, like, a crew of, like, four. So it wasn't, like, a, it wasn't, like, a whole film crew there. It was just, like, the people that were doing this. And she said that she, like, got to the buildings. They didn't know, they couldn't identify where they were at. When, I should have prefaced that where they were at when they right. were at the building. Like they didn't know, like this is this room and this is that room. They didn't know that until retrospectively. And so they go inside and there's like just shit everywhere. And there's a bunch of like toys, I guess, that were around. And yeah. she starts to take pictures with her SLR. And all of a sudden the camera starts like zooming in and out and like going nuts. And she's like showing them like what's what's my camera doing does anyone know what to do she's like trying to fix it and it just is going absolutely crazy she's trying to take photos and it seems like the camera won't take photos and then the screen goes black the camera just completely stops so she's like that's weird and probably not helpful since we need to take photos of this but let's continue (laughs) on So they go to another part of the building and there's like a glass window to the door and they touch it. And she said the entire building felt like ice. And this is like in the summer of in Philadelphia, like there was no reason for it to be, to feel so cold. And she said that they could even feel the ground and it was cold through their shoes because they, it was just so startlingly cold. Yeah. So they still, which like me, I would have been like, gotta go. See you when we make a better movie about happy things. But. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time on the Seventh Heaven reunion. (laughs) Right. There we go. Much more my speed. (laughs) So they decide to keep exploring and they're walking through the hallways and they see a swing in the hallway. And she's like, it's so high that no child could ever get on it. But they were obviously all like, what could that, you know, they're trying to like think logically, like what could this have been or be? Like who has put this here? Why is it here? So while they're kind of looking, they all of a sudden all smell something like terrible. And she said she had a, like all of a sudden her head started to pound and she got so nauseous that she literally like fell to her knees. And this is like, happening quickly it's not like oh we were exploring for hours like it was very quick 
and her friends are like trying to help get her down the stairs and all of a sudden they see like down that hallway like this huge grouping of something so like a bunch of somethings that make up one thing like rushing towards them and they all scream and like run and then they end up getting in a van and they start like what did you see what did you see what did you see oh my god and they're talking about it and they're all like you know everyone's story is similar and so they end up obviously looking up like where the hell were we just now like why was that so weird they found out and this is according to beverly mitchell when they were at the glass and where it was so cold they were standing above the morgue where they would take dead children Mm. and they would have them down there so uh, from her from what she knew her research on this this place was a place for kids that were essentially not wanted or were bad and they would go and like a lot of times they would get their teeth pulled out because they would like start to bite and they would like the people would just pull their teeth out so they didn't have to deal with it they weren't treated well they weren't you know like it wasn't a good place it was like a not it was a bad place. Yeah. But so where they were standing where the temperature change was was the morgue. I don't know, that just like freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. Later. yeah. Yeah, to be like, oh, that's why I got so cold. Right. And then when she got that headache and like fell to the ground, that was in the sorry, I'm forgetting the terminology from the story, but that was in the like breaking room essentially. Like, where when you first got there, where they would, like, really, like, break you down to be, like, you're going to be exactly how we tell you to be kind yeah. of thing. You know, like, I get, like, for the HR way of, like, onboarding you into whatever fucked up little place this yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, it was probably one of those, if if it's what I'm thinking, when you go to an asylum, you know, they, that's where they hose you down, essentially, Mm-hmm. And they will check your head for lice in some places, especially back then, just shave your head. Like, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're what gender age you are. Like, your head gets shaved because we have lice here a lot. Mm-hmm. And basically just, even if it's not just, like, breaking you down, you know, they're going over, like, what the rules are there and how you get your medication and how you do whatever. But it is just sort of, like, the place where you're like, oh, shit. Right. This is going to suck. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm not going to be treated very well no. here. Right. And I guess in there, they like the kids' diapers were always full and oh, like yeah. they were they tied they down. They just weren't taking care you, of anybody. Yeah. You like weren't allowed to play. You were constantly like bound and whatever to yeah. like keep you held. But so the craziest part about all this. So you remember when her camera was like malfunctioning, she couldn't get it to work? Yeah. So she's like, they're obviously they're all talking about this stuff. They're looking it up. She finally gets the camera on. She's going through photos and she gets to like once they were inside there. And she said there were children in all of the photos. Not one child, not two child. There are thousands of children in the photos on her camera. I hate it. Isn't that so scary? That's horrifying. Horrifying to see multiple children in a not even I don't just even multiple. Know what like I a would shit do. ton. I don't want it. I want to see it. I want to see the Where photo. Where are they, yeah, Beverly? I want to see this I'm like, picture. I wish she would have like posted them and been like, "Hey, here's the photos I talked about accompanying the story." Yeah, I want my mind to be blown. 
But what's also kind of neat about this, and I feel like very in the vein of you two. So this crazy thing happened and Beverly was like, you know what? I need to go there and I need to tell a story there. So they went there and they shot their film. <laughs> oh my god! It was not. It did not deter them from wow completing Respect. the film or completing the film or whatever they were doing. And she said that throughout their shoot, that like nothing happened where anyone was hurt, but mm-hmm. there were certainly many things that happened that turned non-believers into believers uh, while yeah. they were filming. Yep, that's not surprising. Here's some fun fact. I just Googled it. The director of this film that you're talking about that was filmed at Penhurst uh, with Beverly Mitchell is Michael Rooker. I don't know who that is. Uh, he plays Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, my God. I love him. So Mary effing Poppins from Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy 2. Yes, sir. Oh, my gosh. That makes me so happy. Okay, well, I love this Anyways. story even more. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Also, I'm sorry that you said effing and I earlier said the real word. Oh, so. we always say the real word. Uh, I think worry. I'm used to being, I've been spending a lot of time with two toddlers and I think I've been trying yeah. to censor myself because Wilder currently repeats everything I say and he said, oh shit, the other day. So it's just a habit. So now it's like, oh, I got to lock this yeah. up. He literally, he started spinning in circles going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I had to lock that up. <laughs> Last story of the day. This is this is actually a story I've mentioned on the show before, but I never actually went into detail on it, and I feel like this is a good episode to do so. So if you're a UFO enthusiast, you know about the Phoenix Lights. It happened primarily in Phoenix, but other parts of Arizona, Nevada, um, parts of Mexico experienced it as well. And this was March 13th, 1997. It was between 7.30 and 10.30 p.m., Thousands of people reported seeing strange bright lights flying over and hovering over Phoenix. And that was the biggest boom, 7.30 to 10.30 p.m. But over the course of 12 hours, there were many events across that area that people were calling in about. It's one of the craziest UFO sightings ever. The footage is incredible. The amount of witnesses is astounding. Over 20,000 witnesses to this enormous ufo not like a tiny like is it a satellite no lights in the sky ufo Uh, one witness actually watched a boomerang shaped object glide over uh, granite mountain and said it was at least a mile wide he said there was no way it was from this planet the lights were treated very seriously at first and then basically as a joke by then governor fife simmington who had an aide of his dress as an alien for a press conference and like laughed about it and were like oh we found him and it was like what the hell and then later after his you know reign as governor admitted that not only did he see them but believed they were from another world whoa but that he was told basically like lock it up like shut yeah. up about it oh geez this was the governor yeah but he said later on in life like i'm a pilot i know just about every machine that flies it was bigger than anything i'd ever seen other people saw it responsible people reported seeing it i don't know why any people would ridicule it and i'm over here like bitch you ridiculed it (laughs) right right you're like they're just following you were the main guy they ridiculed it oh lord but whatever i digress Uh, obviously the lights were explained away as 
you know, flares yeah. dropped by military aircraft during a training exercise, which, no, you can watch the videos. It's insane. Yeah. Anyway, how this ties into Holly Weird is in the most special way and actually kind of creepy story. So I'm going to go a bit backwards on this. Two years after the Phoenix Lights, two years after that event, in 1999, actress Goldie Hawn was in her home watching a documentary or special or something about UFOs, um, and it happened to be talking about the Phoenix Lights when her longtime partner, Kurt Russell, came home and happened to see the TV, see the footage, and had a strange feeling come over him. Like it was familiar to like he had seen it before or like he saw what she was watching and it drew him in enough that he came and sat down to watch and asked her what it was. And as he listened to the narration, he heard them say that the lights were first reported by a general aviation pilot who was landing and then it started to come back to him. He casually tells this story during a BBC interview, this like earth shattering story that I can't believe. Just casually tells it the interviewee mentions this experience about the first pilot to report the phoenix lights and kurt russell goes quote the story is true except the tail number of that plane was bonanza to tango sierra and i was the pilot what excuse me yeah kurt russell was the pilot that first reported the phoenix lights what and this is what's crazy about it. He doesn't remember. No. What? He was flying into Phoenix that night with his son, Oliver, who was like 20 at the time. He was dropping. He was like taking him to see his girlfriend. So it was literally like, I'll fly to Phoenix and go home because no I big deal. famous people don't make sense to me. Yes. But <laughs> so he was flying his son into Phoenix. who was about 20. He was coming into land. He saw these six lights in a v-shape over the airport absolutely uniform v-shape he said and he he was saying that he was transfixed on them he just sort of was staring at them he wasn't taking any action he was about half a mile out he's just flying and uh he he didn't say anything until oliver asked him what they were and kurt russell was like i don't know and oliver was like well, are we safe yeah. and kurt was like i have to report these to the tower so he called into the tower and the tower itself at the airport reported that their own instruments didn't show anything in the sky at the time like no one knew it was there and so he was like okay well i'm reporting it i'm gonna declare it's unidentified it's flying and there are six objects and they are right above the airport and the tower was like coming on for a landing we literally don't have anything on our radar we're not sure what's going on but you can land so he did and all he remembers after this he actually doesn't remember any he doesn't remember the trip at all he eventually after seeing this documentary remembers flying back to los angeles but then he never thought about it again like the entire trip he forgot that how I my mind is blown by all of this. That is truly crazy. He said he was watching this documentary and had this intense feeling like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters where he sees the image of the lights, but he can't identify it. 
Like he can't figure out what the shape it's making. And he's like, where, where have I seen that before? Like, I know I've seen this before. Like, it's so strange. Yeah. And it wasn't until that narrator started talking about a pilot reporting it, it started to come back to him. And he was like, that was me. That was me. That was literally he, me. <laughs> he ran to his logbook, his flight logbook. And sure enough, saw the date matched up. He flew into Phoenix that night, oh the God. exact same time. He has no recollection. He said, had I never seen that show, I never would have thought of it again. And Oliver never mentioned it again. Oliver doesn't remember it either. Wow. And wow. Like I said, Oliver's 20. So Kurt's a grown man. Oliver's yeah. um, uh, Goldie Hawn's son from an, uh, another relationship. Yeah, isn't it? Go- it's Oliver, Oliver Hudson. like the actor that we've seen, right? Like Kate Hudson's yeah. brother that we see. Okay. Yeah. It was like, I was trying to imagine that. Okay. But yeah, so to this day, he says the strangest part of the whole thing is how it literally left his head. He can't think of another incident or time in his life that this has happened. And he thinks it's weird that like he didn't even write about it in his flight log book where he logs everything about his flights. Yeah. Everything. If it was a normal flight, he'll log like, I don't know, miles and gas. Like he, he right. logs things about interesting things about the flight and there's nothing on he that date. Nothing on it except that he flew. Like he knew that he yeah. flew. Don't but- you think that if you had literally, if you remember that when you got home, you'd have been yeah. like, there were weird lights. Hell yes. You would have written <laughs> that down. Oh my God. No, nothing. When you, you said there. They span a mile. There were a couple crafts um, at that time. There were these big, so there were the lights in the sky, which you can actually Google or you can YouTube like Phoenix lights. So they're very obviously not flares. They don't move like flares don't hover Mm -hmm. over Phoenix and over, over the airport and they move through and it's in a V shape, but you can't tell if they're individual crafts or it's one enormous craft. Yeah. With a bunch of, with these lights on on it. Mm-hmm. But other people reported seeing more of the crafts and saying that they were like the size of football fields or like a mile long. It was they they were huge. Wow. But yeah, there's all kinds of videos on them and there's a there's documentaries about it too where people are like every single person that lived in Phoenix was like, Yeah, we saw them. Like I don't understand why people keep saying we're crazy yeah. and that we didn't see what we freaking saw. I mean, I just can't imagine, like, if it was a football field or a mile long, but just, like, seeing something, I don't know, I guess I reconciling, like, um, seeing something that could span a mile that you don't know what it is, is, like, so terrifying. Agreed. Like, (laughs) that, like, there just shouldn't be something that big that you, like, can't describe what it is. Yeah, you can't explain. You have no logical reasoning for it. That really freaks me out. Things that big shouldn't be able to fly. No, no, no. I don't even think planes should be able to fly. Let's be honest. I still don't understand how airplanes work. I don't know how we're making it happen every day, but here we are. So I definitely don't know how a mile long ship works. Oh, God. Wow. So that's his crazy story. I can't believe it. You can actually watch him tell that story on, it's a BBC show. I think it's called One or The One. Uh, he's promoting Guardians of the Galaxy 2, though, which is why the the reporter kind of brings it up. And he's sitting next to Chris Pratt. And Chris Pratt looks at him like, how the fuck have you never told me this story? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, why what? didn't you tell me this the day that we met? I needed to know this. 
Also, is Guardians of the Galaxy 2 just, like, sponsoring this podcast? That's adorable. Right. This episode <laughs> brought to you by Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. They needed some more Yeah, they ad, really ad needed time. the promotion. They haven't been doing well, I hear. They're like, it's not doing well on Disney+. Plus. I don't know what we can do. Reach out to keep it weird. That's right, guys. If you sign up for Disney Plus for $7.99, you can watch Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> you, too, can watch Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, starring Michael Rooker and Kurt Russell. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you guys so much for listening to our show. Mike, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank we you guys so gonna... much for having me. This was awesome. We freaking loved having you i know it's so much later for you now there yes. than it is for us so thank you for coming on to the show and you guys can catch us with mike next week for part two of our trip into the dark depths of hollywood next week we're going to be talking about murder it's going to be gruesome do you have anything going on do you have anything you want to plug right now besides your video <laughs> on your Instagram that we're going to play for everybody. Yes. The only thing I want to plug is just to make sure you guys check out the video, like and subscribe, and sign up for the Keep It Weird Patreon so that you can get a signed headshot of me <laughs> and Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Carrie Obsessed. Underwood together. <laughs> um, if you guys want to support our show, follow us on social media at Keep It Weird Cast across all platforms. Uh, do you want to, what's your Instagram handle? It's like Mike.J, right? So close. It's M dot J. M D O T J. Yeah, don't use a period. It's the word dot. That's important. It's the word dot. Yes. <laughs> I was so close. You were so close. You can follow us at, at Keep a Weirdcast. You can follow Mike at M dot D O T J. Um, and that's across all platforms for us. Rate our show five stars on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. If you want to support us financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash podcast and donate one, five, or ten dollars to the show and get some real cool perks like a newsletter, two bonus episodes a month, and discounts on merch. Or you can go to etsy.com slash shop slash podcast and grab yourself a t-shirt, hoodie, sweatpants, blanket, magnet, or button to wear around town. Um... Mike, what's our sign-off today? Um, it should be see ya in the comfy pants because the Keep It Weird sweatpants are literally the comfiest pants and they are a household staple in my house. Do you have them too? I actually, do. I it have was them. The most my boyfriend has them. It was the most exciting moment. Mike was actually out in town recently. He stayed with me and he was like, Lauren, I didn't even pack them with me because they're so worn in. I was embarrassed to bring them to California. And I was like, Mike, I had to buy a second pair because mine had a hole in them from wearing them too Can often. Can we all like, get a good photo of us in our sweatpants, please? Yes. Duh. They are literally the most comfortable thing. They are so comfortable. I have mine on right now. Let's all take a picture of ourselves in our sweatpants, and that can be one of the promo photos. You're right. That is a good sign-off. Get your sweatpants now and join the Comfy Pants Club. Yes. Comfy Pants Club. Keep Keep it weird. weird. (laughs) She... She... What? Can I speak? (laughs) What?